Welcome to Corazon Technologies, home of the Digital Executive Podcast. Welcome to the Digital Executive. Today's guest is Raj Verma. Raj Verma is the co-CEO at MemSQL. He brings more than 25 years of global experience in enterprise software and operating at scale. Raj was instrumental in the growth of Tipco Software to over $1 billion in revenue, serving as the Chief Marketing Officer, Executive Vice President of Global Sales, and Chief Operating Officer. He was also formerly Chief Operating Officer at Aptus Software and Hortonworks. Raj earned his Bachelor Degree in Computer Science from BMS College of Engineering in Bangalore, India. Well, good afternoon, Raj. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Brian. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet. This is exciting. I do a lot of podcasting and I love to have guests and learn about more of what they do and, and what was their life experience and how they get to where they got traversing the verticals and you know career choices they've made over the years. I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of your background. You've, again, traversed various verticals, organizations. Could you just share with us what drives you and how you ended up leading MemSQL as the co-CEO? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that, Brian. And thanks for what you do. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and delighted to be part of this team. Yeah, you know, it's been uh, 30 years that uh, I've been in enterprise software, 28 to be exact. Of course, I started when I was 11, so that helped. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the fact is, you know, I am a computer science engineer and a math major. And getting out of college, you know, there were a couple of lines that I had chosen. I was actually, believe it or not, relatively decent at computer science and enjoyed it, but was probably not smart enough to be an engineer. So I joined, um, you know, Wipro back in the day, and the, the IT industry per se was just about taking off when I, when I graduated from my engineering school in 1992. And uh, serendipitously got involved in it, and the first job was sell, selling the high-tech PCs and printers to organizations. And fell in love with the entire concept of monetizing technology. And I think that has been the theme of my career right through. Uh, moved from hardware sales to um, Sun, which was more institutional hardware sales, then to PTC, which was formative in India. Uh, did well there, moved to Hong Kong, Singapore, and then um, Australia, uh, Sydney, Australia uh, with PTC, which was great. And then I joined a smaller company called Starfare, English company, which you know did uh, business process management, which is now transformed into robotics, what RPM or what have you, pretty hot industry. Got acquired by Tipco in 2004, and that's how I got involved in a, you know, a good 13-year run at Tipco. I moved from Hong Kong to California in 2006 and uh, have called America home since. You know, got in here, as I said, 2006, two kids, now I have four. <laughs> America's been good to us and, and, and really grew with uh, Tipco till 2017. And then had a short stint at uh, two companies which had successful exits, and then I was uh, sort of uh, planning to take uh, some time off, but I had uh, interacted with MemSQL a couple of years ago and was very, very impressed with their technology and Nikita, the co-founder. And in our industry, I believe that good technology ultimately wins. So I did some more digging and I felt that this was something that I could partner with Nikita and you know grow into something that uh, I could be very proud of as an individual and as part of a team that created a software asset and solved some problems for the world that can't be solved without us, or at least not as well as us. That's how I ended up here. Great. I appreciate that background. You certainly have traveled the globe and <laughs> crossed various continents and been very successful. So continued success to you there, Raj. 
So Raj, really want to kind of get into your products then. You have a solid set of products. I was reviewing those. Of course, everybody touts, hey, we're the best in our cloud solutions, right? Whether it's the price or the performance. Could you just give us some insight on where you measure up as an overall solutions provider? Oh, absolutely. I think we are extremely clear about, you know, where we differentiate and where we are sort of uh, not as differentiated. The database market is arguably a $100 billion market, one of the biggest markets in enterprise software. And we don't want to be everything to everyone. So if you are, very clearly, if you are a developer of an application that requires a low latency output, whether it's a dashboard, a report, or a feed into AI ML, you would love MemSQL. Now, you can have it on-prem, you can have it in the cloud, you can have it on multiple clouds, or you can have a hybrid solution. If you are, in short, a developer who is a developer of now, as in you require some information, some analytics, some insight into your business or for the business now, you would love MemSQL. And as I have always said, we are the database of now, If you need the now, now, you will like us. If you need to access technology now, you will like us. We are a more current database than legacy database, and hence we are the database of now. And any application that requires low latency analytics, I would almost be surprised if you would find a solution which is as fast, robust, and has a TCO that's comparable to MemSQL. Amazing. In this day and age where big data is really trumping the headlines, you know, analytics, everybody wants to get their hold of that gold, so to speak, that new gold, which is the data. You need to have a, a robust, scalable product that people can get now, as, as you said. So Raj, could you share with us then really how your technology stands out from your competition, especially in the ML or the AI space, right? So, I mean, databases, Brian, as you know, have existed for 45 years. And, you know, one of my favorite things is that, or not hypothesis, but I would say reports from the analysts in the recent times has been the fact that 500 million applications were built in 45 years of database having existed. And now in the next three years, there are going to be 500 million more applications that are going to be built on databases. And most of them are not likely to be on incumbent databases. So the sort of deluge of new applications that are going to be built is going to be unprecedented. And especially with what we have seen with the COVID-19 pandemic and the change that it has happened in our working lives and personal lives, we are going to see those applications really, 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 you know, sort of step up. Now, most of those applications, as I hope you would agree, would be applications that give the company, the individual or the, you know, as I said, the enterprise a insight into their operations, into their fulfillment, into customer behavior or what have you. So a feed into an analytic software. And we are the vehicle. We are the database of now, as I said, and we are the ideal database for you to build an application that then feeds into your AI ML model. And we can do it, as I said, in the fastest possible way, in the cheapest possible way, and with no lock-ins. So you can be, you know, and irrespective of data residency. So that's really where, you know, we find our sort of place in the sun. And of course, the second is the movement of data to the cloud. The first sort of workloads, Brian, that moved to the cloud in our space was the developer workloads, right? So disposable apps, gaming, mobile apps, which which weren't mission critical apps. And a lot of the developers tended to use the NoSQL movement for that. And the big benefactor of that was probably MongoDB, who actually got that right. 
And then um, the next sort of workload that went into the cloud was the very noisy but massive data warehouse workloads. And big benefactor of that were the CSPs, the cloud service providers, BigQuery, Amazon, and to a certain extent, Snowflake, even though the jury's still out as to how they actually pan out with their cash burn, et cetera. But the next tsunami of data that's going to go to the cloud is going to be the operational data. And what I mean by operational data is the marriage of current data about your operations and how do you marry that with historical models to be able to gain insights in the moment of truth, in the moment of now. That deluge of operational data moving into the cloud is going to be many times bigger than anything that we have seen. And we want to be a major player in that data movement. And I think we are well positioned for that movement. Um, so that is what excites us about the cloud movement or migration. And last but not the least, if you were to believe in the hypothesis, irrespective of what Larry and Safra have to say, at least in the you know, Western civilization, the unit economics will not allow for a fourth cloud provider or a fifth cloud provider. That essentially means that there is about 40 to $50 billion of workloads on incumbent technologies that are going to migrate to the cloud. Now that might happen in a year, two years, five years, six years, but they're not going to be on their incumbent databases. So essentially, we feel that we are really well situated for new applications, the 500 million that are going to be built, then on applications that are going to be built on the cloud where, you know, organizations are migrating their operational data from on-prem to the cloud. And then the entire legacy migration, which is again, you know, a $40 billion market, which is shrinking at a rapid pace because it's getting replaced. And I think we have a play in all three of them. And that's really where the excitement stems from, Brad. <laughs> Sorry for the long-winded answer, but I tend to get very excited when I talk about the opportunity that lies ahead of us. No, and that's what makes the podcast great, Raj, is people that are passionate about what they're working in or, or the next project they're doing. Obviously, a lot of the readers will sense that in your voice, and I certainly enjoy what you are all doing. Anything that you're doing with the passion really makes sense. Thank you. You're welcome, Raj. In our current world of this pandemic, I know we've all had to shift some, right? So did you have anything planned in 2020 or 2021 as far as a new product or service? And what major business shifts have you had to make because of the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we, we never anticipated it. So anyone <laughs> who did was was a lot smarter than we were. And uh, we, we basically didn't see it coming. We had to shift very rapidly, but very proud of the fact that one thing that we did realize that good business decisions that we made in the last 12 months or so were very good when the pandemic you know, happened. So, you know, for example, we made our entire enablement digital. So you can actually get trained on our technology anywhere in the world and get it certified digitally. And we basically launched that in February. I couldn't have timed it better and people thought that we were seeing around corners. But no, we didn't expect the pandemic, but we did know that the world is going to go digital. And, and I think the pandemic has just hastened that process. You know, our entire, you know, we are, we are hiring a lot of sales reps because the demand for our products is um, really, really spiking. And training the reps and the field on how to add value, best value to their clients requires a lot of enablement. And most of that enablement in the past and in most companies is done through instructor-led training in classrooms. We radically shifted that to a digital platform, which we call the on-ramp platform. 
And we got that up and running again in February. Again, we couldn't have timed it better. So now, whatever reps that we've hired in the initial part of the year and continue to hire now can get trained on how to sell our products, right, and add value to the customers as a consequence of doing that. And our customers and partners and ecosystem can get trained on the technology. And as I said, what was good for business became very good for business in the pandemic time. So we were sort of call it quote unquote lucky that we timed our projects rather well. Some of the shifts that we've had to make is, uh, you know, we didn't expect that we aren't going to be entering our offices for almost three months. Now we've got, you know, we were a predominantly work from office, I wouldn't uh, company, I wouldn't say culture, but more company just because a smaller company with two major locations in San Francisco and Seattle and a new budding one in Sunnyvale. So we had to adjust to what I call contribute from anywhere culture. And we liked it so much, Brian, that we've extended it infinitely. So, you know, I know a lot of companies are saying you can work from home till the end of the year, et cetera. There are two things. I firstly, I think the entire concept of work from home doesn't sit well with me. You know, it just makes work seem like work and then home and, and it's sort of a clash. What I feel is that, you know, people need to be connected with organizations and connected in a very virtuous manner and connected from anywhere. And they should be able to contribute from anywhere. And that is the cadence that we are taking for, as I said, for the future. And there are no time limits on it. And we have allowed all our employees to indefinitely contribute from anywhere. If you think you can contribute from a beach, go right ahead. If you think you can contribute from the mountains, go right ahead. And if you think that you need to come into the office, we are working on ensuring that we have a very safe environment for you to operate out of the office. So this pandemic has changed my viewpoint, at least, radically, and for the better, in my opinion. So as I've always said, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. And I think the pandemic has evolved us in that direction. It has also shown the sort of value that our product adds in the digital world. And the projects that our customers were sort of delaying, they hastened that out. And our business has never been better, Brian. I'll, I'll pause here and see if th those were the answers that you were looking for, or at least, you know, if you have a follow-up question or what have you. Sure. No, that's great. I appreciate the insights around what your business has done in light of the pandemic. And it sounds like, and I've had several guests with similar stories, they're not all always positive, but there was some silver lining here. It created people to make some massive shifts and they were somewhat already prepared for it. So this is, this is really good and I appreciate the insight on that. Raj, we'd like to wrap up. The, the big question that uh, our readers like to understand is maybe you can share something from your career experience that would be helpful to our readership looking to grow their career as an executive or maybe just, just to really jump into technology. Yeah, sure. Those are some of the hardest questions to answer because, you know, I, I just don't like to pontificate and offer advice. Uh, to be honest with you, I can look back at my career and there are a few learnings, a lot of learnings. And the biggest one has been that the greatest growth came from the time that I felt I was grinding and I was uncomfortable. And I think no one likes to be uncomfortable, but the fact of life is growth only happens when you put yourself in that uncomfortable zone. And when you're going through it, you feel that, you know, oh my God, this is hard and what do I know about this? And 
you keep grinding and one fine day, uh, one, you know, over course of a couple of days, weeks or months, things work out. You, you solve the problem that, you know, seemed unsurmountable. That leads to the respect of your colleagues, their customers and growth happens. And whatever that growth means to you, you know, titles, money, more responsibility, bigger teams, and that's all personal. But I think not doing something because you're going to be uncomfortable is, could be very detrimental to your career. And I guess in our world, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And in fact, one of the things that I tell people, or actually my other kind of CEOs or even executives, is that if you're feeling good about your business, don't get too concerned about it because that feeling will go away very quickly. <laughs> And the fact really is that, you know, every executive which, is, which has come to whatever level of success that they have come to will have to get used to being uncomfortable. And, and I think that is where I'm at odds with cultures which promote how employees should be. Yeah, of course, you know, they should be comfortable by way of work environment and, you know, all the other table stakes of employers, but how do you offer your employees a challenge that doesn't, that extends them, that makes them grow? And in that growth, there would be times that they're uncomfortable. And how do you mentor them through it is what to me leadership is about. And always, I think I can, I can sit here and I think my remarks would be incomplete without saying that I've, I found a lot of mentors along the way. And as they say, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And, and one of the things that I have made the center point of my leadership is that I spend a lot of time mentoring my executives, other sort of colleagues uh, from my past life. And they don't have to take all my suggestions, advice or what have you, but I do make time to give back what I got. And one thing is for sure that I wouldn't be anywhere close without the contribution of those mentors. And last but not the least, I think if you don't have a great partner who ensures that your work life and your home life and family life are aligned and congruent, then none of the success is worth it. So I think my long-suffering wife gets uh, doesn't get enough credit. I think she deserves far more credit than I do because she tends to do the harder job and keeps me sane and, uh, <laughs> and provides me a great work-life balance to be able to do what I love to do. So, yeah. You, thank you, Karen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, thank you from me as well. No, Raj, that was amazing that you shared your story, some insights on your success and your career travels, right? And I know that will resonate with many of our readers, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Raj, I just want to thank you. It was a pleasure having you on today, and I look forward to speaking with you real soon. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for what you do. And yeah, keep up the good work and stay safe and stay healthy. You bet. Bye for now. 